purpose of this literature is to help us realize that God hasn't forgotten us when life is really hard. When discipleship gets tough and we're being persecuted or we can't figure it out or it seems like God is far away, God has not forgotten about us. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Well, good morning again. Uh, I always love preaching this text because it's, um, it's something we do every year. It's, it's kind of the thing that happens before the season of Lent. It's, it's literally this mountaintop experience. And, you know, everybody has their own versions of mountaintop experiences and even actual mountain stories about the last mountain that you were on. I was raised in eastern New Mexico and the closest mountains were, you know, a significant drive away. Uh, maybe Clayton, Rabbit Ear Mountain. I'm not sure what the actual closest thing we would consider a mountain. But, you know, we're lucky around here. I actually learned of a mountain range I never, never knew about after it took me three or four years living here before I figured out that there are mountains in Rotan, you know. They're, and really nice, really pretty. So off in the distance, everybody's got their mountain top stories. Even at Camp Butman, we have kind of these mountain experiences. Uh, John, do we have the photo there from last year? This is um, maybe. Yeah, that's all right. Well, when we get it. Uh, uh, this is one of my favorite pictures from all of last year. As, as we were getting ready for confirmation class, and kind of planning a pilgrimage at Camp Butman and how we were going to do it, and we were going to go to the cross, we are going to do these different things. So I took my little scout with me. Uh, and, you know, Ethan, he's, uh, he was a, a fifth grader at the time, and physically it's really hard for him to climb a, an area like that. And so we took our time, and we went up there, and uh, this is him after he uh, got to the top, and he could kind of look around and see, and uh, he was so excited that he, that he made it up there, so he gave us the excitement. Uh, uh, arms up in the air and you know it's just a beautiful picture for me and so for so many reasons but there are things that we see differently from on top of a mountain and one of the things that when we look at this story I think that God is reminding us that he gives us gifts these mountaintop moments the times where the glory of God is tangible for us where we would look around and say like Jacob oh my gosh surely the Lord was in this place, right? And I believe that one of the reasons that we have this story as we uh, approach the season of Lent, as we consider the cross, and it makes sense that all the gospel writers, they put it in here, it's right around the time that people start figuring out or people start hearing Jesus say, I must go to Jerusalem and I must be crucified. I must suffer and I must be beaten and uh, I'm going to uh, be crucified and then on the third day, I'm going to rise again. You know, and he says it a couple of times throughout the gospel and, and the disciples are slow to pick it up. We're slow to pick it up. And Jesus is reminding us of the kind of savior that he is, the way that it was in God's heart to save the world. And so, uh, this story prepares the disciples for the trials that they will face. And I think this story still prepares us for the trials that we face when we decide to follow Jesus. So that's what we're looking at today uh, together. This is a wild story. You know, Watson read it for us. This is like an apocalyptic account. I mean, if you think about it, all the crazy stuff that's happening here, 
uh, Jesus himself, when they're walking down, he's like, hey, y'all don't tell anybody about this vision, okay? Uh, you wait a little while. And there's, there's a sense in which it's a little, it's a little crazy, even for them at the time. And so we look back at it and go, wait a second. They were climbing, they climb a mountain, we get that part. Okay, they're all together, we get that part. Jesus is there and he's kind of transfigured, we get that part. But that Moses and Elijah are there? Like what kind of peyote is up on top of that mountain where we're starting to see things? But it's, it's this great vision of, you know, you have the Old Testament law and prophets right here in this holy experience where Jesus takes three of his, we might say, closest associates, just like Moses took three of his closest associates in Exodus 24. And we have this beautiful story. Now, the purpose of apocalyptic literature in the New Testament or any place in the Bible, Ezekiel, the book of Revelation, I mean, it's not the only purpose, but one of the main purposes of apocalyptic literature is to encourage the church. It's not to figure out what date Jesus is coming back or who's the Antichrist or all that kind of stuff. The purpose of this literature is to help us realize that God hasn't forgotten us when life is really hard. When discipleship gets tough and we're being persecuted or we can't figure it out or it seems like God is far away, God has not forgotten about us. That's the purpose of apocalyptic literature. So we have all the great parallels there between uh, Exodus 24 when Moses is on the mountain and uh, Matthew 17 when Jesus takes his disciples up. You have the great time marker after six days, just like Exodus 24. Six days, and then what happened on the seventh day? The glory of God covered the mountain. The cloud covered the mountain. So here Matthew says, after six days. What else happened in six days? Remember the creation story, right? And then after six days, it took God six days to create the heavens and earth. Uh, not literal, you know, 24-hour days, but this days, this poetic way of telling the story. And then on the seventh day, God rested. So this kind of moment of perfection, of God's presence, of God's rest. And what happens on the seventh day? God's presence, God's rest for God's people. So Mo Jesus takes up his disciples up there, and they have this moment on the seventh day. Just like Exodus 24, there's a divine voice. God is speaking to whoever's there. There is a shining face. Uh, Jesus' face is transfigured just like Moses' face is transfigured. And there's also this element, this element of proper fear. Not the kind of fear that you're afraid, you know, something bad's going to happen. This kind of fear where you realize you're in the presence of a holy God. And it changes your disposition. Just like it changed Moses. And the disciples are in awe. They are having this moment of healthy fear. And so, again, we just keep hearing the story of Jesus as the new Moses, the one who's greater than Moses. And he's come to bring all the fulfillment. Uh, Moses, the law, Elijah, the prophets. And we've got Moses and Elijah there, um, uh, the same son that I showed you a picture of. I remember we preached this sermon last year. And his one comment after the sermon, he's very, uh, he's very astute. And he's always paying attention. He always catches me if I miss something. But he said, Dad, you know, it just doesn't seem fair to me that Abraham wasn't there. I mean, it's, it's great that Moses and Elijah were there. Why the heck wasn't Abraham there? I'm here. He was the father of many nations and all that stuff. And I, like, I really don't know, son. I'm sorry. I, I didn't, I didn't write it. I just try to, I just try to, you know, but, but think about Moses and Elijah. They both fasted 40 days. Uh, they both were miracle workers. They were both rejected by God's people when they were doing what God called them to do. They both experienced God's glory on the mountain. 
And they're both of their ministries are tied to kind of the end of the world, the return of Christ, the grand consummation of all things. We talk about in the Apostles' Creed that Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. Both uh, Elijah and Moses' ministries were, were pointed at that great day, at that great moment in, in the history that we anticipate. And so this glory on the mount, you know, glory is a, a fascinating thing. The glory, this kind of manifest glory that was there on the mountain, that they haven't seen it in a long time. Remember in Ezekiel when, when the glory of God left the temple and the prophecies of fulfillment were one day when God's glory would return. And so this is one of the first times we see God's glory manifest in this way. God's glory has come back, right? God has come to rescue his people. And it's amazing how glory works. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of both intensive and also just mundane, right? Sometimes we experience the glory of God and it's this overwhelming and maybe we're young and we're at church camp and we're going, oh my gosh, I've never experienced God like that before. Or we go on a retreat and we're still, and we take our watch off for a weekend, and we, we see things we didn't see before. Or we're, we're hiking in the mountains, or we're out and we see the stars, and something's just a little different. Uh, glory is intensified. And then we also experience glory just while we're washing the dishes, or we're doing something, you know, we experience God's sustaining glory throughout all the things that we're doing. It's kind of like writing a poem or writing a love letter or writing a story. Sometimes you sit down to write and it's just, you, you're not even, you feel like you're not even thinking, right? The pen's just gliding on the page and, uh, and you're writing this letter and it's all just there. You're writing a poem and it's there or a song or a sermon or a Sunday school lesson and it's all just making sense and clicking and you can't write fast enough. And other times, you know, you sit there, I don't have a, I don't have a pencil and you're just like this. You know, and you're just like, oh, and I can't see it. You know, it's not there. And and God's glory still is revealed in the persistence and the waiting and the mundane moment by moment. And I believe that Christ is transfigured here. Um, he's transformed. His image is transformed. We're allowed to see him as he really is. And just like Moses talks about, you know, that we hear the story about how God's glory devoured the mountain. It's, it's this consuming fire. Jesus is devoured in glory. And it's a gift for the disciples. It's a gift for us. And I think it's also an invitation. When Jesus is transfigured, it's an invitation for us to consider that we have the human capacity within us because we're created by God and we've begun responding to God and his salvation, that we have the, the opportunity and the potential to be transformed as well. We are we don't have to just be the same person today that we were 20 years ago. We don't have to be the same person next week that we are today. God's transforming power is there to bring us through the things that we're struggling through, to illuminate us and to bring us to real life. This is part of the good news of the gospel. You know, the gospel is not just, you know, you get you get you get saved and, and you get anticipate spending eternity with Christ. That's that's huge. That's a major part of the gospel. But sometimes Wesleyans in the old days would talk about this as the second half of the gospel. Um, it's it's the presence of Christ transforming us, right? getting us uh, where we look like the image of Christ in the world. It frees us from all the things that we carry, all the dark places, all the things that we accumulate. It's just kind of like dust in the house. 
uh, we just have these things that just you know accumulate in our souls and in our hearts. And God stands here today as he has throughout history and says, I, I want to make you clean. I want to heal you. I want to bring new life into dark and dry places. We are transformed from darkness into light through the presence of Christ. We're transformed from the false self to our true self through the affirmation that we are sons and daughters of God. Because we belong to God, we don't have to pretend anymore. We don't have to put on a front. We don't have to wear a mask. But we can be transformed into our true self. And finally, we're transformed from an unhealthy fear, an unhealthy anxiety to a real courage. And this ironically comes through the gift of the fear of the Lord. When we're in awe of God and what God is doing, and we have this gift of the fear of the Lord, it takes away our servile fear. It takes away this fear that just where we treat God and we treat others like, like we're just, oh, I'm just a, just a, just a, just an old servant, you know, just, just here I am out. And, and God's reminding us we're children. We're sons and daughters. That's our identity. And so we grow in our courage as we face the things that God has called us to. Because God's glory is preparing us for the trials that we will face when we follow Jesus. There's no way to follow Jesus and miss out on this part. We know this from the gospel story, and we're reminded of it this year. Guess who the three folks that Jesus invites with him when he's praying at the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying one more time, God, if, if there's any way for this to happen, take this cup from me. Uh, this moment of this crisis moment. Remember who he took with him? Peter, James, and John. I don't think that's a coincidence. Like he took the three with him. He knew he would need them. They would be tested. They would be following closely. It would, co it would cost them everything. Uh, and this was part of their transformation, was learning and being reminded that the glory of God prepares us for trials that will inevitably come when we follow Jesus. In conclusion, um, several scholars have pointed out that, that the transfiguration stands in sharp contrast to the event of the cross. Think about some of these really key symbols. Uh, think about light. And on the Transfiguration Mountain, all is light. Light is all you can see. It's just illuminated. It's like even the cloud overshadowing it like brings this clarity. Uh, you've been there, right? You're outside and the glare is really strong. And maybe you're at a lake or a river or something and you're out there trying to fish and all of a sudden there's a cloud that just moves over and you can see everything perfectly clear. There's this great clarity. Light is everywhere. Light is all around. And on the cross, darkness everywhere. On Transfiguration Mountain, the clothes are beautiful and white and perfectly illuminated. Right? The, the most beautiful clothes you could imagine. And on the cross, Jesus is stripped of his clothes. Transfiguration Mountain, Jesus is with two Old Testament heroes. I mean, you don't get any bigger than that. He's there with the great prestigious company. And on the cross, he's with two common criminals. The glory of God is preparing us for the trials that we will face when we follow Jesus.
And this gospel transformation is offered to us. We are invited like the disciples. Listen to Jesus. This is my beloved son, just like in baptism. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. An invitation to be aware of God, because the glory of God, we know this is all around us. And there are moments where we, we have the courage to, you know, like Moses, take off our shoes. Uh, we're, we're becoming aware of God, the time and the patience it takes sometimes to hear and see God. Ears to hear. We have been invited by Christ and we will be formally again in a moment to come and receive Holy Communion. To come to the altar. And we're going to spend a little extra time at the altar this morning as we come for communion. And we're reminded of the promise that Christ will meet us here. One of the things I love about uh, our understanding of the sacraments, baptism and Holy Communion, is that we don't have to guess whether God's going to meet us here or not. That for all of the uncertainties in life, we can guarantee that God is present when the sacraments are shared. And when, when the bread and the wine is passed around, we know that God is present. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to try to figure out if we're worthy to receive these gifts. But by God's grace, He's predictably here in our midst. And we are confident that Christ will meet us here. There is glory in sharing in the Lord's Supper together. And so uh, it's a joy to invite us to receive these gifts and experience God's glory in this special way at this time. Amen.